chapter 2, we, we are having a journey through the lives of Daniel and his three friends um, as they were in exile and God used them in a powerful way and he used them despite of a bad situation. And I, I wanted to encourage you, and I forgot to, to read the whole chapter two. It's a very long chapter, and we're not going to take time to read it. We're going to we're going to journey through it. One remarkable aspect of chapter two is the actual dream King Nebuchadnezzar had, and, and you'll learn all about this. Basically, let me give you a quick synopsis, and then I'll tell you where we're going. The the king of Babylon who had is the is the Ju, 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 Judah people. Wow, that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't do that again if I tried. <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, revival really is breaking out. Here we go. Uh, because it was, it was, uh, Judah, not Israel in captivity, but those, those were, that were in exile under King Nebuchadnezzar and he had a dream and this dream disturbed him and nobody could interpret the dream. And so he was going to kill everybody. We're going to go through this and Daniel under the anointing and the leadership of the Spirit, interpreted the dream. And then the dream itself is quite remarkable. That's the part we're not going to talk about because he foretold things that have actually happened throughout history. So I just wanted to at least uh, put that out there to you that if you're so inclined to look into that later, I think that you would find great benefit. And I also didn't want you to think that I was overlooking this remarkable part of the story. What I want to focus in on today is how we can use the life of Daniel to inspire us to live for God today. Because the scripture says that's the purpose of the Old Testament stories. They're not just cool stories to listen to. They're applicable stories. And and there's principles and reactions and characteristics within the lives of these ancient uh, uh, people we read about that are we're supposed to draw inspiration. And it's a guide. It's like a compass for our life. The stories tell us where to go. It tells us which directions to go. And and that's why it'll bring meaning to you today. Now, I want you to write, if you're taking down notes, my first observation from Daniel chapter 2. And it's that people are desperately looking for answers to their troubled future. It's a fact. People are desperately looking for answers to their troubled future. And we're going to look here in a second at Nebuchadnezzar and why he was disturbed by a dream. Now, this was a dream that was um, just a natural dream that would happen in his sleep. And in that culture, they took dreams very seriously. In fact, they had, as we will discover, astrologists and seers, and they had great books that they would look into and they would try to find the meaning into dreams. They took their dreams very seriously. Because of that, let's start in verse 1. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his mind was troubled and could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. This was a common practice. And when they came in, they stood before the king, and he said to them, I have a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what that means. And then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, and they said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream." And we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. And you're going to see desperation in his voice or in his his decree. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. How many know that's a bad day at the office right there? (laughs) 
Now, here's the difference. The, the common practice was, here's the dream, and then they'd all get together and they'd look at the stars, they'd look into their books, they even looked at something, and this is really strange, the uh, sheep's liver for some reason, uh, and, and they would look at all these different signs, but they were able to take the data and come to conclusions. King said, you're not getting the data this time. I'm so disturbed by this dream, you're going to have to tell me what the dream is, or, as you said, you're going to be cut up and I'm taking your house. You thought the IRS was bad. Wow. So verse 7, once more they replied, let the king tell his servants a dream and we will interpret it. Let's Come on, king, let's get with the system here. Let's be realistic. And 8, the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. He was desperate. And this astrologers answer the king. There's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however, great and mighty has ever Ask such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. The king was desperate, and when people look to the future, and they can't dream anymore. There's a certain desperation that happens. I know this isn't a clear parallel because we're talking about a, a natural uh, a dream that would happen in the sleep. But they use those type of dreams to project their future. And, you know, there's definitely a crisis if you begin to analyze the future we have as a people and the future that's before us. There's data that's very bleak. There, there's information that's very disturbing. Global terrorism is disturbing. You begin to see how many nuclear bombs are unaccounted for and how terrorists could infiltrate any of our public places. That, that's, a, that's a fearful thing. The, the rise in our prison population has been incredible over the last 30 years. The, the amount of prisoners we have has, has expanded at an almost unthinkable rate and the problem is prisoners, they repeat their offenses. Prison's not a place of rehabilitation. It's a place where men and women often lose heart. Our education system is bringing us diminishing results. There's overwhelming debt on both a personal and here in our nation, a national level, a debt that will eventually crumble us. I looked on the government website just to find out about Social Security. I just did this yesterday afternoon. And the government itself says by 2041 that they won't be able to fund Social Security. Now, for some of you, you might not care. I do. See, yeah, it's about time I'm going to need it. So those are huge, huge problems. And so the questions are, you know, what will be left to our children? You know, what kind of nation are we going to lead them? What, what kind of people are we going to be? And, and beyond the political, socioeconomic type of uh, slant there, my question is, and what I'm concerned about above all that, is what kind of church will we have? I mean, what, what kind of effective church will we have? Where will the church be? What role will the church play in society? What role are, are, is the church going to play in my children's life and in my grandchildren's lives? What's our future? 
and, and if you look into our future, it, it looks dim and it can look very dark. And that is why. That is why we have to stay optimistic and we have to stay filled with faith because when you lose hope for the future, that's when desperation sets in. And I'm learning a lot about desperation. Now, we talk about desperation for God. That's a positive thing. I'm desperate for you, God. I have a desperation for you. But that's about the only one of the only examples I can think of which is positive because I've noticed and I've seen when people are in desperation and when they're desperate, they begin to to become irrational. And they begin to do things they never thought they would do, say things they thought they would never say. And desperation is not good for us. We're not supposed to be at a place of desperation. We're supposed to be at a place of abundance, out of a place of victory, because that's when we begin to think right, think correctly, make the right type of decisions. And when our leaders lose heart and when our leaders can't imagine anything better for the future, then we're in trouble. And that's what happened in this case. Nebuchadnezzar, he was so distraught over this dream. And look again with me in verse 1, now that we have a little more context. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. You know, when our mind is troubled and when we are overcome and we don't have hope for the future and we don't know how to get out of the jam, we don't know how we're going to overcome the problem, it's not easy to sleep. That's why we have to go to drugs and we have to go to um, all types of things to get us down and then something else to get us back up. And it's a vicious cycle. You know, God said he gives sleep to those he loves. And there's just something about when we're at peace in our life and when we've sown good seed and a harvest of righteousness has come to our life, there's a rest that comes over us. But when our leaders are no longer optimistic and they no longer look towards the future, desperation happens and desperation becomes very dangerous. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, he put unrealistic demands upon people because he didn't know anything else to do. He he called those ancient astrologers and seers to and asked them to do something that was impossible for them. That's bad leadership. That's bad leadership. He wasn't pushing them to their limits. He was doing something that was totally, totally impossible. And, and here, here's what happens so often. It's so often that these people got to a place where God was their only solution. Verse 11. Look at what they said in verse 11. They said, listen, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. They didn't know who God was. Verse 11. And they don't live among men. They, they didn't know who God was and didn't know he was an ever-present help in trouble. But the point I want to emphasize right now is this, is that God is always the last resort. I mean, we exhaust our wisdom. We exhaust our understanding. We exhaust our resource. And after we've exhausted all of those, all of a sudden we said, well, I guess we better turn to God. Why not get God involved on the front end of the process and say, God, you're our source. We're not depending on our understanding. We're not depending on what we can do. God, we have to get you involved now. You're the key to our future. You're the hope for our children. You're the hope for our grandchildren. God, we are desperate for you. That's who we're, you're our only, only answer. And so the people were in a desperate situation. So go to verse 14. And and you see this thing is spiraling down to something very negative. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, 
had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. If I'm going to put someone, well, I wouldn't do that anyway. But you know, anyway, that was just a bad line. I was going to say, if I was going to put someone to death, I'd put to death the stupid people. That's yeah. Woo! Praise Jesus. Yeah, that wasn't good. Stick to the notes. Stick to the notes. All right. Um, we love them all the same. So Daniel's now. I love this line. This this is just a great line in the end of 14. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. You guys remember me? We talked last week about preparation, maturity, seasoning. Daniel knew how to speak to the king because he had gone through the steps of preparation 15. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, I want you to notice something. He didn't go get the dream and then go to the king. He went to the king first. Why? Because he was trying to save the lives of these men who were about to be executed. Can I tell you this and write it down? Number two, spiritual leadership rises to the greatest challenges of our day. And that was a great challenge. An irrational king, a king who wasn't thinking correctly, a king who was desperate, was about to do something very stupid, put to death all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel found out and said, I've got to do something about this. I've got to do this. can't be this. This cannot. I cannot sit back in the safety and security of my life and allow these innocent men or innocent in a sense that they didn't have control. I cannot allow them to be executed in my comfort. To reemphasize it, go down to verse 24. In chapter 2, verse 24, he says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Notice, he didn't have the interpretation yet. Not only did he not have the interpretation, he didn't have the dream. The king was withholding the dream. Here is what I'm trying to say. Here was a spiritual leader that saw a cause, that saw a problem, and he put his life on the line for justice. He put his life on the line because something was going wrong. And as a leader, he needed to make it right. Do you know that is what we need today? We need more and more men and women who won't just hide out in safety and hide out in comfort, but will step out and lead. Say, this should not be. I'll take the risk. I'll put my life on the line. I'll present myself to the king and say, king, give us some more time. But give us another chance. Help us, O king, to to not let this go the way it's going. And can I just tell you this? Listen, it's so easy in our wealth and our comfort and our comfortable couches and our air condition and our big screen TVs. Okay, I'm preaching to myself here to say this to Stay in comfort and to ignore and disregard and to avoid the problems of this world. To say it's someone else's 
problem. It's someone else's cause. It's someone else's concern. I'm just going to enjoy my salvation. I'm going to enjoy my grace. I'm just going to get through my life and live my simple little life. It's easy to ignore and to disregard and avoid the problems of the day. But God is rising up spiritual leaders that will feel the pain of the world. Feel it. Let it be part of who they are. That will recognize the injustices. That will get involved with the need. That will not just, as the phrase say, curse the darkness, but will light a candle and say, God, use my personality. Use my resource. Lord, stir a passion within me. I won't just ignore. I won't turn my head away. God, I'm going to feel the pain of the world. I'm going to allow you to use me. We need spiritual leaders. We need people to rise up. So who is this leader the world needs in troubled times? Who is this person that's going to step to the front and is going to lead the way? Who is this leader? You are. You're the leader. You're the leader God needs. You're the leader your company needs. You're the leader your marriage needs. You're the leader your family needs. You're the leader that needs to change the world. It's on you. I'm not going to let you just throw it on me. I can't handle the burden by myself. I can't carry the vision by myself. I can't just sit here and have an audience try to watch Beth and I impact the world. I need for you to find that place, to find that place of leadership, to find that passion, to find that need, to find the thing that God has put on your heart and to engage with that and not to let it go dormant in your life. This is your planet. This is your country. These are your people you live with. This is your era that God has placed you and he chose for you to live in this time, at this place. This is your time, your time to lead. As long as God's given you a breath of air, as long as he's given you another day, as long as he's given you another opportunity, he's not done with you yet. You might say, well, I've made mistakes and I've lost chances and I've let opportunities pass. Well, learn about that and move on towards the future. We need you. God needs you. He doesn't need the world. Needs you not to waste any more time, but to engage in what he has. There's a leadership gift inside of you. There's something inside of you that hell wants to keep suppressed, that darkness wants to keep hidden. But God is pulling it out of you. And God won't let it go dormant. And God won't let the flame go out. And God won't let you hide it. And he's pulling it out. So stop burying your, burying your gift. Stop hiding it. Stop ignoring it. Stop explaining it away. Stop giving excuses. Find a need. Find a passion. And lead. Lead just like Daniel did. You might not have the answers. You might not figure out what, how you're going to solve the problem. You might not know where you're going to go. But just like Daniel, you've got to buy time and you've got to take a step and you can't just hide out. You have a sphere of influence 
Every single one of you can influence somebody. Every single one of you have a life you can touch. And there is a dream from God inside of you. It's original. It's unique. It's God implanted. It has his fingerprint on. It's designed for you. And it matters to him. It matters to him. You hear, I've said it several times, so, but I'll say it again. God, Satan's lost the battle for your soul. So now he's fighting for your potential to keep you average, to keep you ordinary, to keep you lukewarm. Can I tell you that it's time to get involved? That consistent effort over a long period of time, not making always a big explosion, but just a steady, a steady consistency in your life over a long period of time makes a large impact. Just be consistent. Be steady. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Stay disciplined. Keep doing the same things you need to do. I mean, whether it's sunshine or rain, good times or bad times, feast or famine, just stay consistent in the things you know God wants you to do. And consistency over a long period of time has a huge impact. You see, God gave us the example of Daniel. So in 2008, in August, in the weekend before Labor Day, we would be inspired And we could say, with God's help, I can be that type of person. And I can be passionate for the things God is passionate about. So Daniel stepped out in faith and go to verse 17. And here it is. He doesn't know the answer. But in verse 17, Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them. To plead for mercy from God on heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I'd love to hear that whole story. I wonder if those three guys were like, you said what? You did what? What are you thinking? You know, but they're in it together. They're in community. So verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Look at the end of 19. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. 22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. 23, I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel got the dream. God revealed the dream. And his whole life was on the line. I mean, he went, remember, he went to the king first and said, I'll figure out the dream. And then he went to his friends and said, let's pray. I'm going to die. Pray. Write this down. Here's a third observation. When the challenge is great, we have to depend on God. Not when the challenge is great, we have to depend on God. No. When the challenge is great, we have to depend on God. We don't have a choice. We don't, we don't have an option. We've stepped out in faith and, and we're going to address a challenge. We're going to address a need and we've gotten out of our comfort zone and we've gotten out of our place of safety and we're done hiding and we're out there and we're saying, God, we have to have your blessing. We have to have your favor. We have to have your anointing. Can I tell you this? Is that 
I don't want to just play it safe the rest of my life and the rest of my ministry. Because you know, I got in a mode of that that one time. And, and, and part of my testimony, some of you guys will hear this Tuesday. I kind of got in a mode where I was like, hey, this is pretty good. I'm young. I got a good church. I live in the suburbs. I'm making decent money or good money. Life is good. Next 20 years, I'm just going to be this nice little pastor and just kind of take care of the people and just take care of Christians. And guess what? I got bored. First, I got bored just managing the problems of Christians. Maintaining a country club. Huh? You know what? It might seem good, but it's not. When there's a God-given dream inside of you, there's a God-given passion. And I just, and now learning, and can I tell you the last two or three months, God has brought a rest a rest in some of the things that in my life and in my ministry and and that rest has caused me to dream and I'm having greater dreams and greater visions and there's a greater passion. I mean, talk about not being able to sleep at night and getting out of your bed in the morning when a dream starting to come alive in you, that begins to happen. And here's what the kind of person I'm asking God to make me and I want to invite you to be the same kind of person. Jesus said that unless you come to me as a child... Unless you come to me as a child, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And we need crazy, childlike kind of faith to begin to believe God for stuff we shouldn't believe God for. I I mean, I'm talking about uh, audacious beliefs where people say, really? Are you serious? Okay. Something within us that says, God, I want a dream so great. And I want to follow a vision so big that I'm almost embarrassed to tell people about it in case it doesn't come to pass. And this is not a self-glorification thing. We're going to deal with that in a second. It's a God-driven, God-given vision, a God-given dream that caused us to get out on the limb a little bit and to take some risks and to have some faith and see God's vision and God's burden and God's dream ought to drive us to our knees. It's a, it, when it comes from God, it's very humbling. Because God begins to entrust you with things that are way over your head. And way bigger than you. Come on, this is for you. I, I'm, this is for you today. Listen, don't just live an ordinary life. Don't just pass the time. There's something bigger than life inside of you that comes from God. And He's raising it up within you. And He who gives you the dream and He who gives you the desire is the same God that can empower you and give you new vision and give you new hope for the future. You see, God's doing something great within our church. that We don't even recognize it. He is, He is rearranging our attitudes. He is breaking up hard ground. He is changing us in a way because the dream God has for our church is bigger than the dream we have for it ourselves. You understand that? That God wants us to have His heart and His leadership and operate in in His desires. And He wants that so bad that it's not a kind of... he, He wants us to live this kind of risky, audacious, risk taking kind of vision. And, and it's not the, re, the result of irresponsibility. So when I say that, some of you are getting nervous. I'm not talking about like saying, oh, we can't pay the bills this week. Let's all pray for $10,000. That's just called bad management a lot of times. 
Okay? I mean, we need prudence. We need wisdom. We need good management. I want to believe God for something greater than my own stupidity. I want to believe God for His dreams and His visions. I don't want to just ask for miracles from God because I haven't managed the resources He's given me. I want to move into a new realm and get His heart. I'm not worried about the little, the, the, the dumb results of my own mistakes. I, so this vision that He's coming forth within us, He is preparing it. And what is it? I don't know. Because God only shows us exactly what we need because if He showed us the whole vision, we couldn't handle it. First of all, we'd get the big head. And second of all, we wouldn't do the simple things that need to happen. Like we need someone to run a parking lot crew. We need more people in the kids ministry. We need more people involved in the men's Bible study. We need someone to to help us get the worship service together and usher and to help prepare the communion. And if we're all busy, oh God, my vision's so great. We won't accomplish the very thing he's placed in our hand right now. So he gives us what we need until we're ready for the next step. And I just want, want you to say, let you know that you are that leader. You are that person. You are the one. God is calling that forth in your life. Here's the last thing that, that well, actually it's not the last thing, but the fourth thing. Spiritual leadership always points to success to God. Spiritual leadership points to success to God. Verse 27, Daniel replied, No wise man, no enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked him. I love 28. And this is our language. This is why we are who we are. There, But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dreams and visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And he goes on and explains the vision. Go down to verse 47. And the king said to Daniel, this is where God gets the glory. Verse 47, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. Can I tell you that when God begins to empower and gives you success and gives you new revelation and begins to use you in a great way, it's so God will get the glory. It's so he will get the glory. Can I tell you this, that I believe God is raising up a new generation of leaders, one in which humility is not something they just preach about, but it's a fruit they demonstrate. There is a manifestation of humility that's coming upon the spiritual leaders of this nation that won't just be manifested in sermons and in mission statements, but will be manifested in shopping malls and business transactions in restaurants as God's leaders walk in humility. That's when the greatest move of God is going to happen. We've ever seen God's people. And I believe this, that God is rising up a people that will not tolerate pride in the pulpit. Because they're looking more for Jesus than a hero in the pulpit. They're hungry more for Jesus than a pastor 
personality superstar. And those techniques and those methods in the past that has appealed to a previous generation will not be tolerated in this new move of God because God's people are looking for humble leadership that will point to Jesus, that will not be self-promoting, but will promote Him and His cause. And at the end of the day, when Daniel moved in the Spirit of God, what did the king say? Daniel, you're awesome. Daniel, can I uh, pay to hear you speak? Can we start a ministry? No, he said, your God is great. He's the God of gods. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the revealer of mysteries. He gets the glory. And that's what God is beginning to do. You see, because God is taking us. I didn't even tell you from. I didn't tell you what the title of this message was. I forgot. But he is taking us from a place of desperation to a place of promotion. A place where people are desperate for leadership. They're desperate for answers in their time. It's a situation that's not good. But through spirit-led leadership, God-led leadership, there is something new. God's raising up humble leaders who will lead among God's heart and will share God's heart. And look at verse 48. And look what happens. And this is just the end of the story. This isn't what the story is about. This is a byproduct of the story. It's not the focus of the story. It's just the byproduct. Verse 48. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. It's the sidebar to the story. It's not the story. And he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon. And he placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request... The king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. When you glorify God and help his people, God will promote you beyond your dreams. And that's not the story. It's the byproduct of the story. You know why Daniel was promoted? You know why Daniel was able to be the ruler and to be the one in charge? It's because he was willing to die for the men he led. He was willing to die. He said, I will go to the king. I will take the risk. I will go before him. And I will put my life on the line to right this injustice. Daniel was promoted because he literally died to the dream that he once had. <laughs>